Welcome back to another episode of Reignite Resilience. I want to take a few moments to just warn our listeners that the content discussed in this episode may be triggering for some individuals. Please know that our intention is to create a safe space for open and honest conversations surrounding mental health, suicide prevention, and the impact that it has on the individuals and on our society as a whole. We do understand that these discussions can be difficult to hear, but we believe that it's important to address these topics with empathy and compassion. If you or someone that you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, we urge you to seek professional help and support from helplines and or mental health organizations within your area. And remember, you are not alone and there is always help available. If you find that the content becomes overwhelming or distressing, please take care of yourself and consider pausing or seeking support. And as always, we want to thank you for joining us on this journey of exploration and education. Together, let's create a compassionate and informed community that supports those that are affected by mental health challenges. Now, let's dive into today's episode. In the grand theater of life, we all seek a comeback, a resurgence, a rekindling of our inner fire. But how do we spark that flame? Welcome to Reignite Resilience. This is not just another podcast. This is a journey, a venture into the heart of human spirit, the power of resilience, and the art of reigniting our passions. Welcome back to part three of our three-part series on suicide and resiliency. In this episode, we are going to tie things up, give you some additional tools and modalities that you can use if you yourself are a suicide survivor, and also give you some additional creative outlets that can be utilized to help you navigate through your journey of healing. We hope you enjoy. I would like to go a little bit back to talk a little bit more about suicide, because I think that... I'd love to talk about some of the myths of suicide and maybe maybe some of the tools we can give people um, if there are tools on being able to talk about it or things that maybe we should know about it. Because I think it's definitely, and I mean, I'm not going to talk about, well, I will, the one statistic I will say is that between 2000 and 2021, suicide rates have increased by 40% in the United States. That's something we can't not talk about. Yeah. That's, it is a issue and it continues to go up. It is increased every year. I want to say so far this year in 2023, there's been close to 50,000 deaths associated to suicide. And there's probably more that we don't need that weren't track or whatever. That's a big number. And in 2021, there were 1.7 million people that attempted suicide. So this is a real topic and you have gone through it. Back in 2010, I lost my uncle to suicide. And then years later, his son committed suicide. And Natalie and I know people that have lost significant others to suicide, who have lost children to suicide, parents to suicide. This is something that impacts probably every person on this planet. And so I think I want to give some people some myths and some maybe some tools if they can, if we can. Yeah, it's described as an epidemic and that in some ways feels accurate. It's also a difficult metaphor because of course, there's the disease model where we imagine that it is a mental health issue that can be equated to 
a physical ailment, but that metaphor breaks down in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And so when I think about myths of suicide, most of the really harmful ones didn't wind up affecting me. One of the most harmful actually is religious traditions that claim that the suicide is anathema and therefore should be rejected from the community because it does such damage to survivors that then they don't have a place to grieve. And different religious traditions hold that boundary in different ways. But actually, I said that didn't affect me. I think it probably did. His mother was fairly religious. She's no longer with us. And her processing of his death put enormous pressure on her faith. And I think that resulted in a lot of unkindness directed at me. So there is absolutely a version of faith that is sustaining and beautiful And there is a version of faith that can be very corrosive when we look at this issue of suicide. So that's like one of the most common myths that creates negative outcomes. Yes. Another myth that I've never bought into and I've had to really sit with with why I didn't Mm -hmm. is the myth that suicide is a selfish act. It's not. It's a reaction to pain. Yeah. It's a reaction to insurmountable pain. Mm -hmm. And one of the key features of the suicidal mind is ambivalence, that you simultaneously want to die and profoundly do not want to die. And so how can someone be selfish trapped in that mindset? And I never viewed Rob as selfish. I lived with him for two years. I was very aware of the kind of pain that he was in. He did not hide it from me. He could not hide it from me. And so I think that's another really common one. But a lot of these myths are losing their staying power, losing their stickiness. And they were even back in 2005. Mm -hmm. Credit to my mother, despite all of our various issues with enmeshment, she was a really good parent and a really radical parent. Like she was all about me feeling safe, resisting cultural narratives. And so after Rob died, I looked at those myths and was like, you must be kidding. I'm trusting my own sensorium flips table. So, <laughs> so, and I think that did have a huge protective yeah. function in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, she also could not hold a feeling to save her life. She was so terrified of them. And maybe one of the scariest things about suicide is suicide contagion, which is yeah. very real and documented. And various studies have arguably isolated a genetic component of suicide, but that's even separate from the fact that suicide seems to get in our heads, if one person in a community does, it is a sticky idea. It's very hard to let go of. And I really got sucked into that mindset that because Rob died, I needed to follow him. And my mother had no idea how to help me. And so another part of my writing journey has been figuring out what could I tell that mom now? Like, what could I say to my mom? What might have helped her help me instead of doing what she did, which was run around screaming like a chicken with her head cut off, which basically put the focus on her, leaving me off in the shadows to do whatever self-harming, dangerous thing I felt like doing that day. And for yourself, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So with all empathy to her and no blame, she did not have the tools available that we do now. This is where presence comes in for me. And so one of the moments in the book that I'm working on is the fantasy of the survivor victim. 
So after somebody dies, what are the imaginaries? What are the fantasies that you hold in your heart? And of course, there's the obvious one of like, I want to bring the person back. I just want them to be back. But the one that kept coming up again and again in the books I was reading is the imagination that you could have been there at the moment that they died and you could have sat with them in presence and not tried to stop them, just been present while they were in that much pain, imagining that you are strong enough to do that. That's the fantasy. And of course, then my therapist said, yeah, but if you did that, they wouldn't have died. And that's the point. Yeah. So I have been looking at moments that capture this. Weirdly, the movie Inception features a scene of this where the young woman is on a building and her partner is across the way at a different hotel building. And she basically says, reality isn't real. I'm going to jump out of this window. You should follow me so we can be together forever. And he's like, no, reality's real. Please don't do that. But it is an exact reenactment of this fantasy that yeah. you could be there feeling yeah. all the feelings you felt for that person. And of course, that's a nightmare scenario yeah. because she does it anyway. Yeah. And I think that's the point, right? That you have to sit through how much of that fantasy is real. You have to sit with the hideous discomfort of that. So that's where like, I find myths of suicide to be less powerful than the narratives of survivor victims. Yeah. Like, and after Rob died, I went looking for books about suicide and really bounced off the academic ones. The ones that hit me, and this is bizarre to narrate, were domestic violence memoirs. Those were the books that reminded me the most of my relationship with Rob. Wow. Because suicide is an act of violence, usually against a single other person. The father of suicide, I think his name is Schneid, Schneidman. I have to look this up. I'll write it to you. I'm terrible with names. But he refers to it as a dyadic phenomenon that most often suicide occurs in reaction to a single person. That it's happening in some sort of dyad, parent, child, spouse, sibling, and if you are the other member of that dyad, it is often at you, right? Their suicide feels at you. Yeah. And that is so alarming to have to work through. Yeah. <laughs> but these memoirs around domestic violence are all about, in many ways, emotional manipulation prior to leading up to that act of violence. And so much of the lead up to Rob's death, I could see that emotional manipulation happening. And yeah. I don't think it was conscious. Like yeah. that's the weird part. The domestic violence memoir assumes consciousness on the part of the perpetrator most often. So this has gotten really messy for me to work through in the book, right? How much was he actually conscious of the way he was treating me and what he was doing? Mm -hmm. But he was also 29 when I was 23. We got together when I was 21. Like yeah. I was much, much younger than him. And so I think I've become really interested in how much for that other member of the dyad, we ignore suicide as an act of violence that's generally against someone else. And we see it when it's an abuse narrative, but we somehow don't see it when it's a suicide. And suicide is so often weaponized to control. If you do this, I'm going to kill myself, yeah. right? It's a threat. Mm -hmm. And this has been really 
difficult to work through in my intimate relationships, right? To regain a sense of safety, actually, Mm -hmm. because when you have lived with somebody who uses their mental illness to control you, it becomes very difficult to trust other people's bad days. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that might be like too dark, but yes, that is the answer to your question. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) I don't know if any of that will be useful. It might just be too heavy. (laughs) It totally is. It's totally helpful. I mean, and again, you're absolutely shining a light on a different perspective in looking at this. And and so just for me, out of curiosity, like as you're working on this piece that you have now and you start to look at that relationship or even having that correlation with domestic abuse and things of that nature, does that lead you to the point where you have more questions that you'd like answered? So the nice thing about being a writer, about being an artist is your goal is to produce a central question and then a knot of meaning not an answer, a knot of meaning, aka here are all the twisty threads and I'm going to tie them all together and I'm going to say, here's the knot. I at least can let you see the strands, but it's not my job to untie it. That's what the reader does. That's the interaction. So I love that metaphor, partly because it lets me off the hook, but I will tell you how I end the book. I end the book with two pieces back to back. I took his suicide note, And I did a series of erasure poems. An erasure poem is when you black out words, so you leave some words behind. And I make five poems out of his suicide note. Mm -hmm. I turn it into a love letter. I highlight all of the apologies in it. I highlight all the verbs, and they're all actions of destruction and Mm self-hatred. I highlight all the times he used the word I. Mm -hmm. And the last one is just a blackout and who the letter is to. It was written to his mom, not to me. Then the end of the book, my mom wrote a poem. She writes poems very rarely and then she hides them away and usually shows them to just me, Mm. which has set off some conflict over the years because what she really wants is praise. And that's a very strange thing to be in a position of using your disciplinary skill set to praise your mother's creative output, right? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, lots of feelings about that. But during the pandemic, so 2020, yeah, 2020, 2021, years and years later after this happened, right? Mom said, oh, hey, I wrote a poem after Rob died that I never showed you. This is not like my mother. My mother does not have an unspoken thought. She puts all of her feelings on me and is like, hey, could you help me with these? And so I was stunned because it suggests that even at this moment that I look back on our relationship and think, oh, mama, like this was a struggle moment in our relationship. She did have the perceptiveness to realize I could not carry anything more and she needed to keep this one. She needed to get her feelings out, but not put them on me. And Mm -hmm. this is proof that she did. So I do an erasure of my mom's poem. And the entire book has this running metaphor of falling. Falling is this metaphor for moving through suicide, right? Sort of letting yourself feel the feelings. The metaphor is is of falling. And in this piece, she has a line that specifically references not just falling, but hitting the ground. So the entire erasure poem is just that line with everything blacked out. So that is the knot of meaning. I don't have answers, but I have the things that have been answers for me, the ways I've made sense of this that have helped. Yeah. And again, it goes back to every single person's journey through whatever it is, whether it's suicide, whatever, is completely unique. And you found 
your healing through the creative writing and through what you're doing in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And it may be a different way for somebody else. And so what a beautiful journey you've gone through. And I just, I'm so honored that you were willing to share that with us because I know it wasn't hard. I know that you're still going through this journey. The book's not done yet, but I do have the end. So that helps. Okay, I know. Well, I was so, when good. you said that, I was like, wait, so it's done. We're, I know. I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's Can really close. Like, uh, yeah, because I, I will definitely be reading it. Um, Thank you. I so. hope to get it out to agents at the end of the semester. I'm really close. Okay. Uh, I'm just like working on final revisions. Your brother will tell you. I'm okay. so close. Perfect. But I really do advocate that process of erasure, that if you've got material objects from a moment in your lifetime that was difficult, consider erasing through it. Consider shaping that material object into a different narrative. Like it is profoundly healing as an artistic practice, 10 of 10 would recommend. Okay. Yeah. And I've never heard of that. (laughs) Definitely something I will be looking into a little bit. So here's the fun one. I will totally add to this while I'm like telling your readers, here's some homework for you. And you can totally just Google erasure poetry and tons will come up. I have erased blackout poetry, like with a Sharpie, but there's also whiteout poetry where you're erased with white. And so I've used the two back and forth and they sort of speak differently when you've got the white space versus like the sort of blotting out of information, Mm -hmm. right? One looks like redacted documents from the government and the other one looks like space, right? So, uh, so anyway, fun, you can fun things to play in with. When you do the white yes. out, like you can fill in those blanks. Exactly. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally different perception of it or perspective. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Yep. Oh my gosh. All right. So we will make sure that we give people resources, places to go if they themselves feeling suicidal or if they have people in the world that maybe they're concerned about. So we want to make sure that people have those. Is there any final thoughts or anything else that you would like to share with our audience before we say goodbye to everybody? That is a good question. I'm now looking at my notes of our whole conversation, like love it. looking for through lines. And I think here's where I would love to leave the conversation. So much of artistic practice is about presence, but just like with acceptance, what do we mean when we talk about presence? Mm -hmm. And for me, I experience it as a heightening of perception, Mm -hmm. and I'll sometimes refer to it as my observational eye is open. And there is an embodied awareness when I am fully in that space of presence. It really does sharpen my senses somehow. And so as you are sort of practicing this, right, we talk about ways to get into that mindfulness, Mm -hmm. breath technique, finding stillness in your body, but we don't always then talk about what does it feel like? So I just sort of want to end with that, like observe yourself in the world, looking at what you see and observe yourself observing. And that's been the fastest way to get to presence. Yeah. Cool. That was the only thing I didn't talk about yet. I I, I (laughs) love that. that. And and I know that Natalie and I are both big proponents of being present in everything, how we show up Um, as coaches and instructors. We have to be present because the questions we ask, if we're thinking about the 50,000 other things that we need to be doing, we're missing a lot of magical moments. So for our, our listeners, being present and just feeling what that feels like to just 
truly be present with no distractions, no anything. What a better world we would live in if everybody just showed up being present in their space. I I really think that's true. Beautiful, beautiful place. So Natalie, any final thoughts or questions or? Yeah, I'm now I feel the charge to like level up. I've never been the observer of the observer. Like I am, (laughs) I am so excited for this. Um, This is great. I think that that was a beautiful last piece to leave us with. We would love to have information about the book once it's complete. Um, Thank you. I will totally send it to you. I'll see how you love it. it. (laughs) We will share it with our community. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable, for sharing your story and for sharing some of the tools and the coping mechanisms that you have utilized in your own personal journey. As Pam mentioned, when we started this out, we don't have the answer or solution to everything and nor are we looking for that. We're not seeking that out. But we, our hope is to have opportunities for individuals to share their own personal stories in terms of them overcoming adversities and the resiliency that they have experienced and continue to build in their own personal journey. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And based off of your bio, did not disappoint. You're exactly (laughs) what I thought. I didn't have any expectations, but I am not disappointed. I am so glad that we were able to visit and that you gave us the opportunity to learn more about you. Yeah, It was so lovely meeting both of you and thank you for being in presence with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And when your book comes out, I would love to have you back on. Thank you. To, to, talk, <laughs> to talk about that journey and what it feels like now that it's complete, because yes. I imagine that there's going to be a totally different set of emotions that come from the completing of that book and, and seeing it on the shelves. And so love to have you back and, and talk about some of the other amazing things that you do that were in your bio that we didn't even touch on. And so, so um, yeah, so, you, you didn't talk about the video game or the I witch know. magazine. I'm I, shocked. I, I, I'm I still intrigued. I'm still intrigued. So that, that we will, we will come back when your book is published and, and out there. We'll come back. We'll talk about all those amazing things. And if, but we will list- leave information about the game in the show notes. Yes. So if anyone's interested and you don't want to wait for the next episode, the information will be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if our listeners, if you found this beneficial, please share it. I know this was a tough topic, but that's what Natalie and I are on a quest to do is to handle all kinds of adversity and resilience that is out there. And, and hopefully it resonates with one person and, and it can make a difference. So we appreciate our listeners. Um, if you have personal stories that you would like to share with us, please go to our Facebook page, email us and just, yeah, we're here for you. Any questions or anything. So thank you. Anything else, Natalie? No, thank you so much. Thanks, Pam. Thanks, Brooke, again. I really appreciate it. For our listeners, we do have an exciting announcement, a new change that you will see available here starting towards the end of the year and into 2024. We will have a subscription service for some additional exclusive content that's not available on our free platform. But we, as we work out all of the specifics and the particulars, we'll make sure that we get that into your hands. You don't want to miss it. 
it's there's some exciting pieces that are already coming together and some exciting interviews that will be shared on that, I guess, the back end of the platform. So we're excited to have that for you. But until then, don't forget to like and subscribe, share it with friends, family, loved ones, anyone in your community or your tribe that you feel would benefit from listening to this podcast. And as Pam mentioned, if you have ideas, feedbacks, thought, please feel free to send that over to us. Until next time. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Reignite Resilience. We hope that you had amazing ahas and takeaways. Remember to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, like it and download the upcoming episodes. And if you know anyone in your life that is looking to continue to ignite their resilience, share it with them. We look forward to seeing you on our future episodes. And until then, continue to reignite that fire within your hearts. Thank you.